Thank you so much for joining us here on the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston, and I'm a leadership coach for women. For this International Women's Day, we're bringing you a special episode on the theme of Break the Bias. Many of our previous podcast guests have faced some form of bias in their working lives. So in this episode, we have six wahine talking about their experiences of bias at work and how they've fought to break it. We hope you enjoy listening and that you also find some inspiration in their stories. First up, we have Stacey Morrison, who's a radio and TV broadcaster, journalist and author. Stacey talks about how women are perceived differently once they become mothers and the expectations that women put on themselves. My dad, James, is is still in radio, actually. So I guess having someone in my family that did that job, probably, you know, at a subconscious level, it tells a young woman and a kid that's something that people in your family do, you know, that it's actually possible. Whereas I know for a lot of people, the barrier with broadcasting is just trying to imagine themselves being in such a public facing position is, is quite hard. Then also how you are then defined as a woman is different once you're a mother and particularly in media. Uh, I think Hilary Barry speaks about this really well about the perception of women at a certain age as much heavier judgment than men get. You know, men can be old and, and not particularly telegenic and they still get jobs. But for women, it's it's about being telegenic. It's about not being too mumsy. I mean, I, I have a real issue with how mumsy is considered like a diss. That it should be something to be celebrated. But that juggle, that perception of self, therefore where you fit in a media landscape, the sort of jobs you're going to get, the ones that you're not going to get in more, how you're perceived and being able to, to keep yourself steady amongst all of that. For instance, it's just part of this job that you'll get feedback to say, oh no, they thought that they needed someone more something like that's how you win or lose a job. You have to build resilience about that and, and be realistic about whether this job is good for your, you know, how you're going to maintain your good mental health and emotional and spiritual health while you're doing something that actually means that you're judged by people a lot of the time. Since then, I've had two more children and it's always a navigation and I want to make sure that navigation keeps the kids in our whanau at the centre because ultimately if I am not being the parent that I want to be, then I probably won't be the career woman that I want to be either. That's just how, that's my foundation. That's my tua papa. And I always think I do the jobs that I do while it works for my whanau. And when it doesn't work for my whanau, then I have to change something. You know, I've got healthy children who are pretty, that, that like they don't have specific learning needs. They have good health. So, so all of those things are privileges that allow me to do my job at the moment. But to me, that's something that you're monitoring as a woman anyway. So yeah, they're neurotypical, all of those things. Though I just think that people, it's really interesting as women, sometimes we're so hard on ourselves, but we need to look at the full picture. If you've got, say, if you're a single mum, sometimes we put the expectations on ourselves that we should be doing exactly the same as someone who has financial independence and a supportive husband would be doing. I mean, of course, or wife, it's like completely different playing field that you're coming from. Our next story is with Vic McLennan, and she's a technology entrepreneur and champion of digital capability for all. Vic speaks about gender pay discrimination and the power of supportive colleagues. Before I took the full-time job with the um, company that I took way back when I was at Polytech, I interviewed for a cadetship at the post office 
And I was told at the interview that I wouldn't get the job because I was a young woman and that I would go and have babies and leave. And definitely I had a sense at every stage early on when my children were young that that there's that obstacle around that career break that women take. And and one of the things that, that I spend a lot of time trying to influence other business owners and and managers of large global businesses and people that I interact with in those kind of circles is around having true flexibility for your workplace. So working mothers need true flexibility. If their child falls off a playground, they need to drop everything and go home. They also need to have the confidence and the certainty that if they work part-time, like between the hours of nine and three or Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, that their employer will um, respect that and they won't book a team meeting on a Wednesday or at five o'clock um, after they've finished working, that employers need to really embrace flexibility in a different way. And and I, and I think for me that kind of those substantive years of being a really, really busy working young mother, that did create quite a few hurdles in having employers who just didn't really respect that, even though they say they do and they kind of put it on paper, but their behaviour was always quite different. 20 odd years ago, when um, when I went back to work, and as I said, I had a short career break, My Mike, the father of my children, had been made redundant, which was devastating for us, you know, small children. But we just decided to reverse roles, so he stayed home. And that was so unusual back then, and living in Kandala in Wellington, he was the only dad. And there were mums and there were nannies, and there was him as the only dad who was turning up for school, pick up and drop off. And so the school got pretty reliant on him. He went on every school camp and did every sports day and every kind of um, physical activity they could rope him into. But he was he was a real trailblazer then because there were there, there weren't as many stay at home dads, whereas now that's become a much more accepted norm. And I think that's just amazing that parental leave and some of my stuff, males and females taking parental leave that they can share that. And, and employers are, are becoming a lot more understanding and supportive of different types of parental leave as well. And this Labour government is certainly forcing that issue. When I was quite young, I was in my mid-twenties and I'd, I'd just returned to work after having a baby and I worked with a group of men and I learned that I, who were doing exactly the same job as me and I learned that I earned a lot less than them. And I went to my manager at the time who just gave me, and this is in the mid-90s, who just gave me some absolute bullshit, excuse my language, excuses for why men were earning more than, than I was which included my career break. So I, I was being punished for my relatively short career break, which was less than a year. And and so I just went, I escalated that. And then I went to the HR manager who was a woman and she just absolutely wouldn't have a bar of it. And that was when I learned that HR is really just there to protect the company. It's not there for the staff at all. And, and she just wouldn't listen to me. And then I confronted the owner of the business. So I was very, I feel that I was very brave and I went through this process. And so he actually said he'd, he'd take a, an audience with me, for want of a better word. I confronted him in corridor and I brought my male colleagues with me to the meeting and they laid it out and told him basically that we had all had the same experience. We had the same qualifications, there were technical qualifications. 
some very similar kind of years in the industry. Some of them had been less and they told him what they earned versus what I was earning and he resolved my pay equity immediately. Interestingly, all of us had left that company within a year because it left a really sour taste for all of us. So not only for me, but also for the men that I was in a team with. And that was really one of the biggest challenges. And my my key takeouts from that, you've just got to be brave and also be brave enough to talk to your colleagues when you're having a challenge in the workplace because they'll be more supportive than you realise they might be. As an employer now, of course, I think it's, it's just so important for me as a, an employer to never allow these kind of situations to occur and that company should never have allowed that to happen. But yeah, that's, that's being brave is my biggest lesson from that. So I think that of not feeling like you're battling alone, that you've all, you can always find some connections and some networks. So I can, often I'll be the only woman on a board with men who are far more experienced than me. And I still get a little bit of that sense of, you know, you're the token woman on this board, but I've found other women who are on boards where they're the only woman on a board and are having similar experiences so I can reach out to them and I have the power of that support network as well. So, so it's really, that there's no reason to ever feel like you're alone no matter what scenario you're in. You can always find people who will be supportive of you in some way, shape or form. Our next guest to share their thoughts is Teresa Tepanier Ashton. Teresa is the Chief Executive of Māori Women's Development Inc. Teresa talks about challenges at the intersection of ethnicity and gender and how we can overcome bias by believing in ourselves. I think that I probably came across it more in corporate banking where really I was the only Māori in senior management. Of course, there are many biases that exist in any environment and I think think that at times it's exhausting to put up with and I've gotten to a stage in my life where I just won't anymore. I'll just either exclude myself from that situation or say something directly that I sometimes regret because I've just gotten to the stage in my life where, hey, look, I've paid as much tax as you. I am proud of who I am. I'm the best version of me, so leave me alone. Mm. Mm. And in the earlier days, it hasn't only ha- happened in the corporate life, just amongst ourselves when I was at the iwi, I'm a woman and so there's a place for a woman. And culturally, I accept that. But when it comes to the fact that you're the CEO, there's also a role for you because you are the CEO. And sometimes that gets blurred. Our next guest to share their story is Sarah Lang. And Sarah is Director of Government Advisory and Strategic Relationships at engineering consultancy Becker. Sarah talks about struggling to be heard in male-dominated workplaces and the value of female role models. Working in the infrastructure sector, it's a fairly male-dominated sector, um, particularly in I suppose the construction and banking aspects of it, perhaps not so much in the planning or architecture side. But often I think I'm quite small in stature as well. So when you're at a networking cocktail function and you're five foot two and you're speaking with people in a different hemisphere, (laughs) it does become quite difficult to speak with people as equals. So I much prefer seated events for that reason. But I think because I I work very differently, I work around relationships. And for me, working one-on-one with people is great. I think I've been patted on the head a lot of times, which has made me go, okay, so I am viewed perhaps as the tea lady or 
you know, until people work with me, I think I might challenge the norm of what somebody working in the sector at a leadership level looks like. I'm not six foot tall and I'm not in a grey suit, but I think I can bring a different way of working and I think that's been effective as well. Certainly, I've been in many a conversation where it's very hard to be heard. I think sometimes being the only woman in a room with 17 men, I don't know what it is about the number 17, but that seems to have been a reoccurring theme. That can be quite hard to have your voice heard and for that reason, I'm an absolute proponent of making sure that when you're looking at gender diversity or cultural diversity on boards, you're not having a single token female or a token Māori or, you know, they say that the tipping point occurs at 30%. And so if you are looking at diversifying your team, you know, to bring one person on, I think is never going to create change. It's not a safe way to do it. And it leaves people feeling very exposed and a heavy burden and I think you know some boards now are realising that for women to have a voice they cannot be the sole woman on the board. Equally for our Māori and Pacifica partners too operating as a lone warrior is a hard lonely job and, and I don't think that's fair on anybody. Fortunately I can't talk to any specific disasters or low lights. I think there's been years of sort of slightly under the line behaviour. I think what does happen though is that many of the opportunities or the shoulder tapping or the relationships are forged in environments that I am not part of. So I'm not part of the rugby corporate box scene. I'm not part of the beers at the pub scene. And a lot of the opportunities in industry happens casually. And so I think women have to be really mindful of that. Hence the importance of the Women's Infrastructure Network and other um, women's networks that help grow the visibility of women in the sector because we can't operate the same way our male companions do simply because we are not afforded the same opportunities. So, you know, take, for example, golf tournament days. I mean, I remember once being invited to a golf tournament and I won four prizes. I won women's longest drive. I won closest to pin. And frustratingly for people, I also won the raffle at end. But the reason for that was I was the only woman playing on the tournament of 100 men. And I thought, well, that's nice. I can win all the prizes, but is is that what we want? You know, that's not the Mm. outcome we're seeking. Fortunately, I haven't had very bad lowlights. I have had to fight, particularly in the diversity and inclusion space where you feel like you walk two steps forward, three steps back one day. I have been told, Sarah, that we've had enough. This is not core business. This is not what we do. This is not important to our organisation. But I do follow the proceed to until apprehended philosophy. I would rather seek forgiveness than permission. And I think nowadays, unless you are on board and actively looking at your diversity and inclusion strategies, unless you are wanting to be an employer of choice, unless you are offering flexible work, you are not going to be attracting the best and brightest minds to your organisations and you will be left behind. And so I look at a number of people that I've worked with over the years. Some people are up for change. They are curious 
others are threatened and challenged by change and you have to match, you have to work with people and feed them uh, what they need for their stage of their journey. But there's also a layer of people which I call the permafrost which are threatened by change, are not receptive to different ideas and they're going to take some work, that's for sure. I think for me, I was absolutely sure that this was the right thing to do. I looked at things like the Me Too movement, the fact that our Prime Minister was a female, the fact that there were more CEOs now, you know, I think of Jolie Hodson from Spark, I think of, you know, some key female leaders in in the country. And it felt like the stars were aligning and that this is where we needed to go as an industry, particularly making sure the infrastructure sector was future focused. And if you've got top-down support, and then we had huge, unsatiable demand from women throughout their careers for the events we were running at the WIN, through the WIN network across the country, you sort of knew you were on the right track. And so that would help you overcome some of those barriers or some of that backlash, knowing that you were delivering what so many other people valued. Next up, we have Hema Patel. Hema is a senior business leader in the software and technology sectors. And here, Hema speaks about breaking the bias by finding the courage to have the conversation or ask the question. Some of the, the bad behaviour I've encountered in my career, I, I, you know, can I attribute that to me being a woman? I'm, some of it probably. Um, I've never been a man, so I, I guess I don't know the other side of that coin. But a, a couple of ideas that come to mind is, you know, I, I have found it very challenging to be heard and to be visible. And what do I mean by that? I think when you're a lone voice at the table, when you're coming at something with a completely different perspective and you're the only one, it's very difficult to make that perspective heard and understood. And actually, I remember a time one of my old bosses, actually, I I had this very conversation with him saying, you know, I'm really struggling to be heard here. And he said, look, I will endeavor to always make sure that I ask you even if you feel feel you're not being heard, I will ask you a question and I'll ask you for your perspective. So you better make sure you've got something to say. And it was really interesting at the time because, you know, whilst I was terrified at the idea of having to be put on the spot, it is exactly the thing that I asked for. So he was just instrumental in helping me to be heard at that table. He knew that I had a a valuable um, opinion or perspective and he wanted me to share that. And so I think, again, it's it's really voicing those challenges to, to the people that can help you with them. Had I not said anything, I would, you know, potentially not have been heard and I might not have been able to change that for myself. It's always about the courage to have the conversation or to ask the question. I didn't say it was because I was a woman. I just simply said that it was that I was finding it very difficult to be heard and to be visible. Our last guest to share some of their thoughts is Karen Rangi. Karen is professional director and supporter of Aotearoa's Pacific community. Karen talks about challenging the expectations we hold of ourselves and cutting ourselves some slack. When you lead a really busy life, and I like to be fairly organised and fairly planned, is what you do when something that was totally out of the blue, unplanned, comes along and just kind of knocks you for for six. And I had that with the, the death of a very dear friend, roughly 10 years ago, who I was very close to and I've provided support to her child um, since since my friend passed away. At the time, you know, it was terrible. She passed away from breast cancer. 
I adjusted my time so I could spend kind of the three years that she actually lasted, spend some great time with her. But when she did pass away, it was devastating. And instead of taking time to grieve, I actually, I did two things. One was I threw myself into my work. And the second thing was that I just concentrated on the important practical things that had to be done, like management of her estate and all of that sort of stuff. But the downside of that is that I didn't give myself any time to grieve. And so I boxed along for probably quite a few months until it all just came to a bit of a head, really. And um, I found myself being finally forced into the state of of grieving, realising that I had to actually take some time to spend doing this in a way that, you know, she gave respect to the relationship I had with my friend. What was tough about it, well, that's tough in itself, but what was also tough about it is that I worried also that somehow if I did this, if people knew this, that I'd be seen to be weak, you know, doesn't know how to cope, a bit of a basket case, falling apart. And I really worried about what this would mean for people's view on me. So my learnings out of both of those things are that, um, and this applies particularly as women, I think we've got to get better at cutting ourselves some slack, that it's okay not to be perfect in everything every minute of the day. She says, looking around at her messy house. And also that we can be much better at cutting other women some slack. I think quite often of the things that I try to do to support my friends, you know, my working professional sisters out there in the big wide world who all face the same things that I do, but that we can be, we can be much kinder to each other. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed our special episode for International Women's Day on the theme of Break the Bias. We also hope that you've taken some inspiration for yourself from these six wonderful wahine and their stories about how they've tried to break through biases at work. If you find yourself facing challenges in your work or career and you think some leadership or career coaching might potentially be of help for you, then please do drop us a line to see if we can help. Hello at thefemalecareer.com. Hold up. 